Welcome to Politics by Faith. My name is Mike Slater. Thanks for being here. Our podcast is now sponsored by a sponsor that makes more sense than any sponsor I could ever imagine, Public Square. You can download the app for free in the App Store and stop doing business with businesses and people who hate you. I'll explain more of it coming up a little later. The story of the day, depending on how you calculate it, drug overdoses are the sixth leading cause of death. It's almost the third, and it is the number one cause of death among Americans 18 to 49. Preventable drug overdoses, particularly fentanyl. How can that be the number one cause of death among young Americans 18 to 49? Number one? Wow. Okay, so this is what we do in this app. We take a story that's causing anxiety like this. And particularly today, I want to focus on kids and and how we can prevent our kids, keep our kids from experimenting with drugs because it may be fentanyl and then you die. Like it's unbelievable. So sorry, we take a story that causes anxiety and we uh, break it down. We lament the brokenness in it. And then we give the historical perspective and biblical peace that can hopefully make the anxiety go away. And then something that's in our control. And then a final thought to leave us with so we can sleep. So so the anxiety can go away enough for us to sleep. So we can wake up clear-headed, clear-hearted, ready to fight another day. So what's going on with this story? Rebecca Kiesling, she testified in front of Congress the other day because she has two sons, 20 and 18, who took a Percocet pill. They thought it was a Percocet. Her two boys were with a 17-year-old friend. They took a Percocet in a hotel room, and it turned out the pills were fentanyl, and they all died. Here is mom at the congressional hearing. And um, I appreciate you using the term fentanyl poisoning because that's what it was. It wasn't an overdose. They had no idea that they were doing anything that could kill them. And it's because fentanyl got into this country. I, I heard this man over here from the Cato Institute, you know, talk about, well, it's because of demand. What I'm hearing him say is they asked for it. What the hell? Seriously? Are you kidding me? We need to protect our children. They didn't ask for that. This wasn't demand that they wanted the fentanyl. They didn't want fentanyl. They thought they were getting Percocets. How many people die every year from drug overdoses? It's over 100,000. Let's put it into perspective. Number one cause of death, heart disease. About 700,000 Americans every year. Cancer's 600,000. Then there's a big drop. Unintentional injuries, 190,000. Stroke, 160. Respiratory diseases, 150. Alzheimer's disease, 130. And diabetes, 100,000. So right now, fentanyl and drug overdoses, 100,000 deaths. On the rise. Only 20 years ago, there was 20,000 drug overdose deaths. 20. We've gone from 20 to 100,000. Do you believe that will no longer increase at that same rate, if not faster? At this rate, it'll be just a few years before drug overdose is the third leading cause of death, beating lung disease, Alzheimer's, and stroke. It'll be right behind cancer and heart disease. And again, among 18 to 49, it's the leading cause. So what is fentanyl? It was created by a Belgium chemist in 1960. It's much more powerful than morphine or heroin. Produces a feelings of euphoria like heroin. It's 50 times more potent though. 50 times. Two milligrams can kill you. It's about the size of a grain of rice or you know, just a fraction of a pill. 
the chemicals to make fentanyl come from China, but not just China. They come from Wuhan, of all places, Wuhan. Can you believe it? If we didn't have COVID, I'd be I'd be saying, oh yeah, there's like the city in uh, China. It's called the Wuhan. Wuhan. I've never heard of it. Wuhan. So we had COVID came from Wuhan, and now poison that is sent to the Mexican drug cartels, who form it into pills that comes across our southern border. Those chemicals come from Wuhan, China. Kill another hundred thousand Americans. Here's that mom, Rebecca, again, putting that into perspective. If we had Chinese troops lining up along our southern border with weapons aimed at our people, with weapons of mass destruction aimed at our cities, you damn well know you would do something about it. We have a weather balloon from China going across our country. Nobody died, and everybody's freaking out about it. But 100,000 die every year and nothing's being done. Not enough is being done. Numbers are going up, not down. And you talk about children being taken away from their parents. My children were taken away from me. A hundred thousand Americans every year are having their children, 200,000 because it's both parents, right? Are having their children taken away from them. Oh, so hard to listen to. So what's really going on here? There's so many different directions we can go. We mentioned this story on, I was filling in for Breitbart News Daily on Sirius XM Patriot the other day. We actually talked to Rebecca for half an hour. She was amazing. And then we opened up the phones and there were so many phone calls from family members whose kids have died. We talked to addicts, former addicts. And... I, it's got to be just because I have young kids, but I immediately went into how do I keep my kids from experimenting? Because that's just not a thing anymore. Back in my day with the, the D.A.R.E. program, there was all this talk of the, the gateway drug. So don't use marijuana because it could turn into more a more serious addiction. It's a gateway drug into more serious drugs. And people laughed at it. Now, that's true. <laughs> now, I know it's not always true, but it's often true. Now, you know, people are going to point to some, well, I started marijuana and I never used cocaine, so it wasn't a gateway drug for me. Okay, great. Congratulations. But for most people, the addiction spirals out of control. Why even go down that road? But that's beside the point. Today, you take one pill. You think it's a pill, but it's pure poison from Wuhan. So while D.A.R.E. in the 80s and 90s was don't do drugs, now it's no, seriously, <laughs> you can't, not one time. And Rebecca went and talked about how her son's addiction started with vaping. But can that message work for kids? Don't do drugs even once. Can that work? And I, I know people are like, no, it'll never work. So we have to let kids do drugs as much as they want all the way. <laughs> like, oh, no, I, can't, I can't give up on our kids. I can't. I can't be okay with, well, they're going to do it anyway, so we might as well just let them take pills from Wuhan. And hopefully they're not one that's going to kill them after one time. I can't be okay with that. And I know I'm not the right person to talk about this. I've never had a drink of alcohol in my life. I've never done any drugs. I don't drink coffee. 
I've never had a sip of coffee. It's not, so you, like, I'm not the right person to talk about. You'd think I would be because I've never had, but no, I'm not. I'm, I, I know I'm not. I didn't, I don't drink alcohol and it's not for religious reasons. It's not for fitness reasons. It's, it eventually turned into uh, yeah, I'm cheap, right? Because alcohol is super expensive, but it didn't start out this way. The story of my teetotaling uh, goes back to, I was maybe 10 years old and my swim coach, as the nation gears up for another election season, tune to the first TV for the best coverage on television. Get an exclusive inside look at the American political machine with Sean Spicer at 7. Unmatched analysis and historical perspective from Bill O'Reilly at 8. Then a bold, unapologetic take from Jesse Kelly at 9. It's must-see TV in primetime every night on the first TV. Watch the first on DirecTV Channel 347, Uverse Channel 1220, or DirecTV Stream. America is on trial. Join me, Josh Hammer, as we examine the presidential election through the only lens that truly matters, the legal proceedings of Donald Trump and the Biden crime family. This new daily podcast examines breaking news and analyzes the biggest questions facing the country. Can the former president, Donald Trump, get a fair trial? Can Trump be disqualified from the ballot? Can Joe Biden pardon his son, Hunter? Can Trump even pardon himself? We cover all the action every morning. Listen to America on Trial wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Listen up. I won't sugarcoat it. This is the longest cold flu and allergy season we've ever seen, but we're not alone. We've got Instacart. Sure, you may be a coughing snot faucet who just wants mommy, but you're not giving up. Not when cold medicine, fragrant herbal teas, and honey shaped like bears can be delivered through Instacart in as fast as 30 minutes. Now let's go win the sick playoffs! Daddy, I just want my soup. Oh, sorry, Sport App says it'll be here in, in a few minutes. <laughs> Instacart for the win. I distinctly remember this Tanya Barone. She was sitting at a picnic table. I know exactly where it was, right at the corner of the pool area there. And she was sitting with a couple other girls, and I overheard her say, she didn't even say it to me, I overheard her say, I've never had a drink of alcohol. She's maybe in college. I'm, I'm assuming she was in college. Maybe she was 20. She said, I've never had a drink of alcohol. And she said, I just don't understand putting something in your body that changes the way you act and makes you lose control. And I overheard her say that. And then her brother, Nick, was walking past. And she said something like, he's never done it either or something like that. And he smiled and kept walking. <laughs> I don't like that's kind of all I remember. And that was it. And I decided right there I would never drink alcohol. Everyone in my family did. I, I, I have never, and I do not look down on anyone for drinking in any way. Uh, I just never did. And now I'm 38, so I can't do it now. But, man, am I grateful. I never did. Saved a lot of money. But saved a lot of heartache. I'm sure. Saved a lot of hangovers. Just saved a lot of problems. I'm also a bit of an addictive personality, so I just need to stay away from anything that can be addictive. So I'm glad I never touched it. But... Can I expect my kids to have that same conviction? That same conviction against putting things in your body that makes you lose control and see things differently from reality. The other day we were talking about uh, the rise of moms taking magic mushrooms and uh, like psychedelic drugs. <laughs> what? I, I can't, how do you raise kids to have a conviction against taking things that help you escape? That's what it all is. I need to numb. I need to chill. I need to escape. I saw this the other day. This is Joe Rogan talking to uh, comedian Greg Fitzsimmons. It made me realize that when I wanted a drink, something was going on. 
Yeah. And to this day, I just have that reaction. I know that I still want to drink all the time, but when I really want to drink, I stop and I go, all right, what's stressing you out? What do you need to deal with? And then mm. I just kind of focus on it. I know people don't like the argument. Well, today, th- things are different today. Oh, yeah, they're different. Yeah. In some ways, they are. You could take one pill. There were no, when you, listen, when you were in high school experimenting, there were no pills from Wuhan. So if you now take this pill one time, it could be fentanyl and kill you. That's not a scare tactic. It's the leading cause of death among 18 to 49-year-olds. Talk to any DA. I have a DA friend. I've talked to a couple of DAs on the radio. And this is the b- biggest problem they deal with. Kids dying, and adults too, from, uh, from fentanyl. But they think it's just a regular pill. They don't think it's fentanyl. They think it's something else. And we live in a culture today where 66% of the U.S. population takes at least one prescription drug. Think about that. 66% of Americans take at least one prescription drug. So, so many kids have grown up either seeing or they themselves have been taking pills for their entire life. All they see are pills. People just pop pills. So then they see a pill and they're like, oh, okay, no problem. I've taken pills my whole life. I see people take pills. Here's just another pill and it's got the right color. So it must be safe. They take the pill and oh, it'll... It's, you know, it's been making me feel good forever. It's been making my little brother focus more. So what's the problem? I'll take this pill and everything will be okay. And then it's fentanyl and you die. I'd like to get to the root cause of this. I don't want kids to take pills. I don't want kids dying of drug overdoses or poisonings from the Chinese, from the Mexican drug cartels, from the world. So the question is, what is going on in a kid's life, what pressures, what pains are they experiencing that would make a kid even want to take a pill, to numb or chill or feel a, a feeling of euphoria? Maybe we can't protect kids entirely. Sure, I accept that. But I think we can watch a kid's heart and soul enough that we can make sure they're not desiring the escape in the first place and I think that can make a big difference let's take a second to, to mourn here I just mourn so much for this mom all the moms and dads parents friends family of, of addicts alcoholics people who get hooked on opioids from getting a surgery <laughs> and doctors just writing these prescriptions and they're like oh like this is safe this is not addictive I don't know if we've told the story here before about how opioids uh, started. The very, very short of it. Google Porter and Jick, J-I-C-K. Two guys did a study, uh, but it wasn't a study. They just did a very basic analysis of the people in their hospital who were given opioids in a, in a small dose in a controlled center in their hospital, and then how many addictions came from that. And they just determined that very few addictions came. So they wrote a, a few sentence. It was like, like three sentences or something. Paragraph in the New England Journal of Medicine. Just a little paragraph letter to the editor. And that's what the drug, this is in 1980. And that's what the drug companies took as their breakthrough scientific study that proves that opioids are not addictive. And of course they are. Millions of Americans are now addicted to them. But the pharmaceutical company said uh, that that we wouldn't be. No, they're not addictive. Oh, it's a breakthrough. And the doctors went with it. The drug companies, of course, went with it. Everyone ran with it. Science says, and they were wrong. 
And I mourn the lost lives because of it. I can't even fathom the parents who have kids die over this, but I need to fathom it. I need to think it. I need to feel it. It's real. It's a real thing that happens. And I don't want to run from it. I want, to, I want to know it as much as I can. I want to imagine it as much as I can so that I take, make the effort, take the steps necessary to prevent it as best as I can. All right, so what do we do about this? I was just reading the other day about what the Bible says about the tongue. This is such a good verse. This is James 3. When we put bits into the mouth of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they're so large and driven by strong winds, they're steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it, make, it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. The tongue corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Great verse there about controlling the tongue. Maybe the same can be true about what is put on the tongue. Because where does the desire for putting things in your body come from? Well, it comes from the same place that the words you say come from. It comes from your heart. Does that make sense? The words you say, your tongue, how you use your tongue, that comes from your heart. And the things you put on your tongue, the things you put in your body, where does that desire come from? It comes from the heart. Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. Keep your heart with all of your vigilance. But we live in a culture that doesn't take care of your heart, doesn't take care of your soul, doesn't even consider such a thing. I want to play a clip here of Tucker Carlson. He's given a speech in Hungary. This is a wonderful speech. And this section is on architecture and it's just amazing. And I can't find the right parts to play or whatever. I just want to play the whole thing in full, or at least this one section in full. Enjoy. And I would say that's true. And I don't want to get off and I'll stop in just a second. I don't want to get off on all my theories, but I just can't resist saying this since we're standing in the middle of Central Europe looking at these buildings which move me, not simply because they're old and some have bullet holes, which in my view are a very useful reminder. I wish I lived in a city full of bullet holes in the building because every morning you look at them and you think to yourself, it could be really bad because it's been really bad. There's a lot at stake. Make wise, sober, long-term decisions or else you could wind up with more bullet holes. It's true, it's true. And if I would level, and I could spend all day leveling very accurate accusations against the American foreign policy establishment, but the main one would be that they have no sense of how bad things can get. And it's, this is the bad side of the upside of America. America's an optimistic country, always has been. It came from all around the world, showed up in this mostly untouched continent with the most 
fertile farmland in the world and an ocean to separate us from the lunatics. And it gave us the feeling that anything is, we'll never stop being grateful for that or proud of it. But the downside to that, the flip side, the obverse, the other side of the coin, as you say in Hungary, is that Americans have no sense of how bad things can get. That it actually could be a lot worse. Our physical isolation cuts us off from the history of the rest of the world. There's not a passion to study what happened before in a place that you're building anew, right? Right. So we don't have a sense of that. So I love your bullet holes. Let me just, the only visitor to your nation who's complimented your small arms and artillery scars. But here's what I like more about the landscape of Hungary, a few Soviet remnants notwithstanding, it's pretty. It is pretty, the buildings are pretty. The architecture uplifts. So this is another, this is another third rail in American politics. You're not allowed to know that our buildings are grotesque and dehumanizing. Why are they bad? And ugly dehumanizes us. And by, let me be more precise about what I mean when I say dehumanizing. Dehumanizing is the act of convincing people that they don't matter, that they are less significant than the larger whole, that they are not distinct souls, that they are not unique, that they are not created by God, that they are merely putty in the hands of some larger force, that they must obey. This is what all authoritarian movements do. You don't matter. We're all the same. Ugly architecture, brutalist architecture, glass and steel architecture, Mies van der Rohe architecture was designed to send that message. Not to uplift, but to oppress. And it is very noticeable, and this is never noted in the United States, which unfortunately over time has had its aesthetic sense dulled. We've been told that's not important. What matters is GDP, really. You know, get the new microwave or whatever, the new car, the new place in Aspen. Yeah, I'm not against any of that. I'm not against wealth, for sure. But I would trade it to live in a pretty place, a place that uplifts your spirit by looking at it. Why is it more clarifying and refreshing and joy-giving to sit in a meadow than a parking lot? Because sitting in a meadow reminds you, you can't help but know that you are connected to nature, created by God, which will endure after you're gone which existed before you arrived. Nature is the reminder of human folly. There is a limit to what people can achieve. I don't care what some stupid politician promises me, he'll be gone, so lie. So will my grandchildren and great-grandchildren. So will my civilization, but nature will endure. That gives you perspective and it connects you to the eternal. And it gets you asking what happens after you die. And maybe accumulating wealth and power isn't the point of life. Maybe there's something bigger. Maybe there's meaning. That's what nature reminds you of. The plot suggests that this is all there is. It's utilitarian. Cars park on top of it. They have no respect for it. It was built by people. Everything about that landscape, about the harsh, in concrete landscape of modern cities tells you that you are worthless and that beauty and truth and eternity do not. Why are they telling you that? Telling you that. You think there's some reason? So they can manipulate you for their own power and aggrandizement. So physical beauty, aesthetics matter. Maybe more than most things, actually. And we can debate 
But it won't be a very long debate because like pornography, we know it when we see it. What is beauty, say the academic? No. Go to a Shinto shrine in Japan. You don't even know what Shinto is. There, I don't have any idea what this one is. I don't know anything about Japan. I've never been to a shrine of Episcopalian. I show up at the shrine and I immediately recognize this is beautiful in a way that doesn't make full sense to have seen it before. I've never been confronted with these forms, but I know it the second I see it. This square is beautiful. Leaving aside all the momentous things that must have happened on those cobblestones, this square is beautiful. It was created to remind you that something is bigger, something is more important, and you are part of that. I love that whole riff so much. The idea of your connection with nature and the eternal and how nature is bigger than you and God's creation is bigger than you and beautiful architecture connects you with that as well. It points you to truth and it points you to a creator. The modern world says beauty is in the eye of the beholder. No, it's not. There are objectively beautiful things. God made beauty objective just like he made objective truth. And beautiful things connect you to the eternal. More than anything, God's word connects you to the eternal. And why does that matter? Because these things all deal with your heart. Beauty affects your heart. It affects your soul. And we never talk about that. And we're missing out on not only a massive portion of life, but the most important part of life. And just to bring it back to our kids, we ask our kids questions all the time. like, uh, did you brush your teeth? And did you do your homework? And did you clean your room? But we never ask, how is your heart? How's your heart? Is everything okay in your heart? I asked my six-year-old this question for the first time the other day, and he made a funny face like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? It's like, oh yeah, I never asked that. But we keep asking it. Are you worried about anything today? Is there anything you need to tell me? Are you mad at anything? You know, they, they say there's eight emotions, hurt, lonely, sad, anger, fear, shame, guilt, and glad. If you can, with your kid, understand, like, have, the, have the words for these feelings and dig into these and help your kids know them and, and then you, of course, to know these feelings and to articulate them and listen to them, what tools these are. And then we can understand them and then we can deal with your kid's heart. And you know that we have almost every kid running around out there, led by his peers, led by the world, led by culture. They, there's no connection with their heart and with their soul. So it's like, yeah, sure, take this thing, whatever. It'll make me feel. We're so focused on raising our kids to be aware of what's, around, what's going on around them. Like, like, don't cross the street, look both ways. But we never talk about what's going on inside them. I just feel like addiction often comes from the heart. Often, not always, not always. It comes from the heart. And if, and if we can address the heart early, we could stop a lot of addiction from starting. That's my theory. And that's what I want to work on with my kids. Hmm. Okay, Slater. So what's in my control? I want to tell you first about our sponsor, and I'm so grateful for our first sponsor of this app because it just fits perfectly with everything we do. It's so easy. Uh, Public Square. If you listen to this podcast, if you've made it this far, you, you must download the Public Square app. It is for you. Every day there's news of another corporation that hates you. 
<laughs> hates your values and your worldview and your heart and wants to uh, either numb your heart or attack your heart or doesn't even consider your heart or soul as a thing. It's just give me your money. And you know what we do? We give them our money. They're like, hey, we hate you. <laughs> we say, oh, that's outrageous. Here's my money. I'll take two. What are we doing? And they go, oh, well, there's no way out. Here's the way out. Public Square. It connects you with businesses run by people who share your values. You can use it locally. So this is how we found Rock and Jenny's sub down the street from our house. And then that's where we go all the time now. So we stopped going to Chipotle and now we go to Rock and Jenny's. I stopped giving my money to Chipotle and now I give it to local family owned business and we're on the same team. So it works for local companies, restaurants, banks, clothing companies, and then also nationwide that you can work with as well. And it is a pleasure to do business with people where we share the same values. It's, it's a really wonderful experience and it's a wonderful app and super easy to use and all the rest. So you can just download it for free, Public Square, uh, Public SQ for Square, PublicSQ.com. That's something that's in your control is to take control again of how you spend your money and who you support. Now on this topic of fentanyl and, and drug overdoses, what's in my control? Now, don't, don't get me wrong here. I, I don't mean yoga sessions and you really got your know, new age hooey and essential oils or what, uh, you know, people are, you need more me time. That's not the stuff. I mean, when I talk about protecting your heart, you got to get back to God because that's what the prodigal son did. That's what, the Bible says when he came to himself, I love that. Like when he came to his senses, what did he do? He didn't go to the yoga studio. He didn't go on an adventure. That's what God, that's what he was doing in the first place. Uh, he didn't, uh, have me time. He ran to his father. He says, father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. The point is he ran to his father, just like we have to run to our heavenly father. When we feel this way, when our heart's not doing well, run desperately to your heavenly father. Let me quote this too from J.C. Ryle, pastor, mid-1800s. You should Google this whole thing. It's great. Uh, he's talking about, he's talking to young men, specifically two young men, about avoiding the love of pleasure. Young men, time would not permit me to tell you all the fruits this love of pleasure produces and all the ways in which it may do you harm. Why should I speak of carousing, partying, drinking, gambling, movie going, dancing, and the like? There are few to be found who don't know something of these things by bitter experience. All things that give a feeling of excitement for the time, all things that drown thought and keep the mind in a constant whirl, all things that please the senses and delight the flesh, these are the sort of things that have mighty power at your time of life, and they owe their power to the love of pleasure. Be on your guard. Do not be like those of whom Paul speaks, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. What type of person are you? Are you a lover of pleasure? Or are you a lover of God? 2 Timothy 3, 4. Remember what I say. If you would cling to earthly pleasures, these are the things which murder souls. 150 years ago, they were talking about souls. Not anymore. There is no surer way to get a seared conscience and a hard heart toward the things of God than to give way to the desires of the flesh and mind. It seems like nothing at first, but it tells in the long run. Consider what Peter said. Abstain from sinful desires, 
which war against your soul. 1 Peter 2.11. They destroy the soul's peace, break down its strength, lead it into captivity, and make it a slave. All that glitters is not gold. All that tastes sweet is not good. All that pleases for a while is not real pleasure. Go and take your fill of earthly pleasures if you will. You will never find your heart satisfied with them. There is an empty place there, which nothing but God can fill. You will find, as Solomon did by experience, that earthly pleasures are but a meaningless show, promising contentment, but bringing a dissatisfaction of spirit. Gold-plated caskets, exquisite to look at on the outside, but full of ashes and corruption within. Oh, our kids are sold so many gold-plated caskets on Instagram and all the rest. Oh, be like this, be like this rapper, be like this. Oh, look, oh, look how happy they are, and they're just miserable. Inside. Be wise in your youth. Write the word poison on all earthly pleasures. The most lawful of them must be used in moderation. All of them are soul-destroying if you give them your heart. Pleasure must first have the guarantee that it is not sinful. Then it is to be enjoyed in moderation. Ah, oh, beautiful. J.C. Ryle, R-Y-L-E. Oh, it's so good. It's not don't enjoy things. It's about where your heart should look for real pleasure and real joy. Uh, and there's a reference there to the, the God-sized hole in your heart. You've heard that before. That's from uh, Blaise Pascal in 1670. He said, what else does this craving? Hey, this is 1670. So this is all timeless stuff. What else does this craving and this helplessness proclaim? But that there was once a man in true happiness, of which all that now remains is the empty print and trace. This he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, seeking in things that are not there, the help he cannot find in those that are. Though none can help, since this infinite abyss can be filled only with an infinite and immutable object. In other words, by God himself. This infinite abyss, this God-sized hole in your heart can only be filled by God himself. Wow, what if we, what if our, what if we as adults, what if our kids knew that, deeply, profoundly knew that and ran to him and ran to you when their heart wasn't doing well? Hmm. Okay. What do we leave with? Final thought, what to meditate on. Uh, there's a couple Bible verses actually about not getting drunk. Proverbs 21, wine is a mocker, beer a brawler. Whoever's led astray by them is not wise. Ephesians 5.18, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the spirit. The word sober, though, is in the Bible seven times, but it doesn't refer to drinking or not drinking. It means to be sober-minded. It means to live in a way that doesn't allow you to be captivated by any other influence that will lead you away from good judgment. And you can see the connection to alcohol, of course. Alcohol leads you away from good judgment. Alcohol captivates, it's an influence that captivates you and leads you away from good judgment. Soberness is not allowing that. Soberness allows you to make good choices. My goal is to try and, and help our kids to make good choices before they put something foreign in their body to not be captivated by peers, to not be captivated by the moment, to not be captivated by the party or the concert or whatever forces are going on externally outside of them to do this. Don't be captivated by that. The dictionary definition is uh, of sober is calm, quiet, not overcome by emotion. Maybe this is the one right here. Maybe this is the one. Maybe this is the awareness we all need and our kids need. 1 Peter 5.8 Be alert and of sober mind. Why? Because your enemy, the devil, 
prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Politics by Faith. Mike Slater.